ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟ್ ಅಸ್ ಬೋಸ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಟಾಕ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ may the lord give us the results of the uh, of knowledge may we attain vigor together let what we study be, be illuminating may we not cavil at each other om peace 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 so we are studying the kathu upanishad and we have reached the end of the upanishad uh, the last few mantras we're going to take a look at in this last section of the upanishad uh, yama the lord of death the king of death uh, he is um, teaching the little boy nachiketa who's a student and in this last section of the teaching he is summing up the entire teaching talking about the nature of brahman talking about self realization the practices and the results so in the last few mantras he will talk about the results we know all this but he is uh, repeating all for summing up the whole teaching we are going to now read the 14th mantra yada sarve pramuchyante kamayasya ridishrita athamatyo amrito bhavati atra brahma samashnute let me now read the translation from swami gambhirananda ji's translation of the upanishad and shankara bhashya when all desires clinging to one's heart fall off then a mortal becomes immortal and attains brahman here all right so this mantra 14th and the 15th both talk about the result and the result we know is um, is freedom is moksha freedom from the cycle of birth and death freedom from want and unhappiness and attainment of um, of a brahman attainment of fulfillment now the way it is put in these two mantras is very significant here it is said that when all the desires which are in the heart and here heart always means uh, the mind uh, whatever is in our mind how do you know that the heart means the mind because the shankaracharya consistently throughout all the commentaries he translates ridi in heart as buddho in the intellect or in the understanding so for example here he says ridi in his sanskrit commentary ridi buddho shrita ashritaha ridi means in the uh, understanding in the faculty of understanding so all the desires which are there when all those d- desires disappear when they're all de- uh, destroyed we go beyond all desire then alone this mortal being subject to birth and death and the transmigration from lifetime to lifetime this mortal being us amrito bhavati becomes immortal atra brahma samashnute how brahma samashnute attains brahman becomes one with brahman or realizes brahman realizes that i am brahman where and it's very interesting that the upanishad itself says atra here here in this life 
in this body, now, here. So this is freedom. And here it is characterized as, uh, it's preceded by the disappearance of all desire, all wanting. Let me dwell a little bit on this first and then we'll go on. You know, desire is because we want fulfillment, we want happiness. Now, we'll, let's analyze this a little bit before we go on. What do we want? The kind of happiness, fulfillment we want. Theoretically, if we were allowed to just sit back and dream and, you know, order, place your order for what kind of happiness? What's your conception of the maximum possible happiness that you would like? So the kind of happiness we would want, if it were at all possible, we wouldn't want the happiness, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, which is um, all the time there, does not come and go. And uh, it, it is everywhere, wherever I go, it must be there, that fulfillment. And it must be from everything and everybody. Those who know Vedanta, they know I'm talking about Desha Kala Vastu, space, time, object. My happiness must not be limited by time. That there's, when it comes, there was a time when it was not there, there will be a time when my happiness will not be there. Not like that. No time limitation. But there must be no limited time limitation on my happiness. No Kala Paricheda. All the time. The happiness must be there all the time. There must be no desha paricheda, no space limitation. You can't tell me that you will not be happy here, be a good boy or girl, and after death in heaven, you will go to heaven and there you will be happy. No, no, no. There cannot be any space limitation. It must be here also. It must be there also. It must be everywhere. And then object. It must not be limited to that this person or that object, um, this activity, that position. That relationship, that only will give happiness and others will not know. Every person, every relationship, every object, every activity, everything must give me that happiness. There's no object limitation. Or in other words, Desha Kala Vastu Aparichinna Ananda. Aparichinna unlimited. A bliss which is unlimited by space, by time, by object. Object means Anything that you are aware of. It could be a person, it could be a place, it could be uh, it could be uh, an activity, it could be a uh, person, whatever, or anything, possession. So this is my idea of unlimited happiness. And further, this happiness should not be dependent on anybody. I should not have to depend on anybody, even God, for my happiness. It should be independent. And further, this happiness, I want it to be effortless. I must not have to work for it. So this ever-independent, uh, effortless happiness, available to me everywhere, available to me all the time, and available from everything and everybody, and not subject to increase and decrease. It should not be a little bit of a background trickle of happiness. No, it should be uh, maximum happiness all the time, everywhere, from everybody. And uh, at this point, uh, I'll also say that it must be experienced. Because those who have studied Vedanta, they know Swami is going to trick us by saying, yes, it's there, but it's not manifested. It's infinite happiness, but it's not something that is felt. Um, so no, I must be able to experience it. I should be able to experience it. So this is the kind of happiness we want. How will I get it? How will I get it? 
what is the way to get happiness look at the way these ways we have been trying to get happiness will it um, uh, do i have to work for it you know earn money and then i can buy my happiness or do i have to beg for it ask somebody some boss god um, husband wife children i beg you behave in this way then only i will be happy do i have to beg for it will that make me happy uh-huh. is it uh, do i have to go to heaven for it that you cannot be happy here everybody tells samsara is dukkha this world is sorrowful uh, after this lies a world of happiness called heaven uh, you know vaikuntha kailasha goloka the christian heaven islamic heaven uh, the buddha field of uh, the mahayana buddhists some other place heaven do i have to go for go to heaven for it even spiritual practice what what do i have to do to get this happiness uh, it does happiness come from singing and dancing or should i sit down quietly and meditate uh, which one will give me happiness does happiness come from uh, indulgence or control will it be will i be happy if i um, you know eat drink and be merry and party all the time and uh, take drugs and um, will that make me happy or will i be austere and pull back from every kind of uh, sensual enjoyment uh, and lead a very austere very simple life minimal life will that make me happy will it make me happy if i um, uh, marry have children and be involved in samsara to uh, to my heart's content or if i become a monk uh, or a nun and leave everything and go away to an ashram will i be happy in a city or uh, in a mountain on a mountain top what will make me happy all of these are um, ways in which people try to become happy they are trying millions and billions are trying in all of these ways will it will it make me happy to um, to be mindful or mindless no um should i follow the breath and become more and more aware of the breath and the body and the sensations and the world and still the mind with uh, with focus with awareness heightened awareness or should one drink oneself into a stupor or uh, you know take drugs and so mindfulness makes me happy or mindlessness makes me happy which one see i mean these are ways in which people are trying to be happy does thinking make me happy you have to think deeply vedanta tells you think deeply vedam shravana manana nididhyasana who am i follow the vedantic text carefully and think deeply that will make me happy or no thinking stop thinking the yogi will tell you chitta vritti nirodha stop thinking will stopping thinking make me happy what will make me happy these are all the different ways in which people are trying to attain happiness worldly spiritual through hard work through laziness through attention through lack of attention through independence through dependence which one will make me happy this happiness which we are talking about this limitless happiness ananda none of these will make me happy none all of these can give me 
fleeting happiness, temporary happiness, different grades of happiness. Some will give me a purer sense of sattvic happiness. Some will give me a lower sense of rajasic or tamasic happiness. All of it temporary, all of it limited, all of it subject to coming and going, all of it in the end will disappear. All of it. Why? And this is Vedanta. You have to think about it. Why? Because any attempt to gain limitless happiness, satisfaction forever, with the help of a limited ego, a limited object, and limited effort. I, this person in this body and mind, separate from all of you, will, through this cookie, one cookie, with the effort of putting it in my mouth and tasting it, I will get happiness. Well, that much happiness only you will get. Limited person, one person with one little body-mind, limited uh, object, a cookie, a bit of money, one relationship, is a limited object. And limited effort, no matter how much hard work you put. This was the understanding of the Purvam Imamsakas, you know, who preceded us in Vedanta, the Karmakanda, uh, which Nasiketa asked, the second boon, remember, which is the best um, sacrifice, fire sacrifice, yajna, which will take me to heaven. That also is limited. The greatest of human efforts are the Vedic um, yajyas, the Vedic ritualistic performances, which will take you after death to heavenly spheres. Those are also limited. All good work done here, and luckily bad work also. Heaven is also limited, hell is also limited. Limited means it will end. You can get it, but it will end. You can have a really good time, but it will come to an end. You can have a really bad time also, but that will also come to an end, luckily. So, um, there is a saying in Upanishads, nasty, nasty kritena kritam. By something, the limited effort, you cannot get the unlimited uh, result. Naturally, it's logical. However much of good work or bad work you do, the evil or the good that will come out of it is also will be limited. So, this is the reason why in all of these ways, you cannot, you cannot get lasting, limitless happiness. And that's what we are actually, but what we are looking for. That's why, because we are not getting it. That's why after 20, 30, 40, 50 years of effort, we are still dissatisfied. Lifetimes of effort, we are still dissatisfied. Lifetimes, we are trying to make ourselves happy, dissatisfied. All kinds of selfish effort, unselfish work for the welfare of others, worldly, religious, spiritual, every kind of activity, Every kind of effort to gain happiness is limited. Then what does Vedanta say? Vedanta says, notice what exactly are you asking for? If you are asking for unlimited happiness, ananda is unlimited happiness, bliss. It should be there all the time, everywhere and from everything. That means not limited in time, space and object. Then think about it. If such a, such a happiness is there, which is available all the time, which is available everywhere, and which is available from everything and from everyone. In that case, follow this carefully, simple thought, but very powerful thought. In that case, right now, right here, this is also a time, this is also a place, here are also people, that happiness should be here right now. Because it's everywhere. Ananda, if that limitless happiness actually exists, that ananda, if it's everywhere, it should be here now, where we are. 
it should be now also. If it is all the time, then it should be right now also. It must be there. And if it is available from everything and everybody, then it should be available from all those people around us. And uh, in all the objects around us, in everything around us, it should be available. So such a thing is there, Vedanta says. Ananda, limitless Ananda is there. It is right here, right now. We are immersed in it. It is all the time available. In that case, my question is, one of the demands was, I should be able to experience it. Why am I not experiencing it? The re answer is, we are not recognizing, we do not know it. That which is Ananda. We don't know it. Ignorance is covering it up. No kind of activity, practice, um, effort is going to get us there un until we remove that ignorance. All these activities and practice and effort, if they help in removing the ignorance, great. Now, ignorance is removed by Vedanta. This teaching of the Yama to Nachiketa, all that he has been trying to do is to point out this ever-available happiness. This ever-available, always-available Everywhere available and from everything available happiness and independent happiness, not dependent on anybody or anything. And um, also effortless happiness, not necessarily do anything about it. What is that? That's your real self. That's what um, Yama has been telling Nachiketa all along. That's why he says these, these limited efforts to get happiness, Kamaha, through touch. And taste and smell and sight, seeing beautiful things, tasting beautiful, uh, this flavor, wonderful flavor, smelling great, wonderful fragrance, touching soft and pleasurable things. All of these sensuous ways of getting happiness, all aesthetic ways in art, literature, uh, music, dance, all intellectual ways in philosophy and science. Uh, all moral ways in you know doing good to others, social work, service to others, patriotism, all of these great and noble ways, all of those are mere reflections of the bliss which you already are. It's there all the time. The proof is already there are people who enjoy this bliss. The enlightened ones, they, they, they know that it's overflowing with happiness everywhere. One of the interesting descriptions of Sri Ramakrishna is as if you're about to burst with happiness. That's the uh, experience people had. People around him would always be delighted. You couldn't be unhappy around him. And he always was as if, um, I mean, one of the descriptions is like a ripe, um, you know, like a ripe uh, pumpkin which is about to burst with happiness. So that's why he gave the impression of this overflowing joy, boundless joy. And enlightened ones have this. And we also can experience it, can see that if we break through this veil of not knowing, not seeing. After all, what is this desire? One way of analyzing is this. Knowledge and object. By knowledge here, I don't mean pure consciousness, Atman, Brahman. I just mean the knowledge we have. The knowledge, we, you know, when you see, hear, smell, taste, when you think, when you read, when you understand something, that knowledge, Jnana. So knowledge is sattvic. The three gunas are there, sattva, rajas, tamas. So knowledge is sattvic, is of the guna of sattva, pure. 
Mind is sattvic. It manifests knowledge. Senses are sattvic. They manifest knowledge. Object, the thing which we are, we are aware of, the object is always tamasic. It is, imagine a material object. So material objects, jada, they are tamasic. So the objects are tamasic. Now what binds the sattvic to the tamasic in between is rajasic. See, knowing a thing in the world, a place, um, a gadget, a food, a, a musical performance, a person, knowing a thing is, is no problem at all. We know. No, knowledge is not a problem. It's only when that knowledge is now followed by desire. I want this. This cookie, uh, this uh, you know, tourist destination, this fancy cl clothes or cars, or this uh, activity, this uh, cruise ship, uh, some you know, cruise. Uh, so things like that. All the things which people want. I want this. All, there are three things here. You know it. You, you, you know something. You see a place, for example, a nice tourist destination on, on, uh, online. So just, just knowing it. There's no problem there. The destination, the place is tamasic. It's a material place. It's a, it's a physical thing. Your knowledge of it is sattvic in the mind. Then arises the desire for that. I want to go there. Why desire arises? That we will see. Uh, that is a, uh, Shankaracharya. His, you know, one of his favorite phrases, avidya kama karma, avidya kama karma, avidya ignorance, not knowing this limitless, ever available happiness, which it is our real nature, not knowing this is avidya, ignorance, not knowing this, we feel apurna, not complete. Then arises kama, desire, the desire for completion, the desire to, for fulfillment. And then what do we do? Karma, activity. For what? Not for the benefit of others, for my own fulfillment. So no, there are people who do so much work for others selflessly. So does that make them happy or unhappy? That makes them happy. So there are wise people who find their happiness in the happiness of others. They're really wise because they will be happy. Um, again, limited happiness. The other wise people, they find, they think that by making this body happy, I will be happy. That very soon that happiness goes away. But see, the knowledge of uh, the, an ob the object, knowledge is sattvic, the object is uh, tamasic, in between comes kama, rajasic, desire arises. And that binds. It, it's a bondage. Avidya kama karma. And then we act trying to get that, pl that place, that person, that uh, activity, that possession. This activity, this, this work, this karma prompted by desire gives rise to results. If it's a good karma, dharmic karma, I want to do good to others or I perform some kind of ritual. In, in India, you give a puja in a temple, you feed the sadhus, that, that is a, um, seen as a work of great punya. So I'm just plugging it because I'm a sadhu. So that's a work of great punya. Punya means good merit. All of these things, they give rise to good results. Punya, merit, good result. And good results will give rise to sukha, good experiences in the future. Still a bondage. That sukha also will produce a future birth for you. And if I, out of my desire, I cannot control my desire and I do um, adharmic, sinful things, 
out of my desire. I want fulfillment, so I can't resist. Um, you know, people steal, take bribes, um, uh, be immoral or be jealous or uh, aggressive or violent, all out of trying to fulfill their desires. Then that is adharma and that leads to papa, sin, demerit. And the result of that is dukkha, suffering. And we get sukha and dukkha, pleasure and pain mixed in this life and it will produce future lives. This is how samsara comes. So Shankaracharya's phrase, avidya kama karma, ignorance, desire, desire prompted action. Then what happens? Samsara. Because the desire prompted action will give results and the results will keep coming to us. We will be in samsara. When the body dies, those accumulated results are waiting for us. It will produce another body for you next lifetime so that you can keep on experiencing that. It will not come to an end because we keep on acting with desire. So it will produce further and further new um, karma, karma phala. This is samsara. It will go on. This comes to an end upon enlightenment. Now put two and two together. What? How I started it? And you put two and two together. Upon enlightenment, what do you realize? I am not this body and mind. I am this unlimited witness consciousness. I alone am that one unlimited existence consciousness place in which this entire world, this universe appears. Everybody is one with me. I am one with everybody and everything. What is there in this world for me to achieve or attain? Everything is already attained. I am everything or everything is I. This total completion all the time. Total feeling of oneness with everybody. This, I am immortal. I have no fear of death. Brahman does not die. The body may come and go. It's no problem for me. The ups and downs of the mind. The problems in the sensory system. The ups and downs in the mind. Are no problem at all for me. Because I am not them. So, my happiness, my satisfaction is unlimited because I am unlimited. And unhappiness cannot touch me. Because every kind of unhappiness is in the world of appearance, in the body-mind level. So, this unlimited nature, when I realize, I feel I am full. And I have no more desire for anything. Not having any desires, all the actions which will be done by the still living body of the enlightened person, those actions will not be prompted by personal desires. Maybe doing good to others. Um, so, one is free. After enlightenment, these desires dissolve away completely. Which also shows that Shankaracharya considers true enlightenment, uh, not just Shankaracharya, will come later, but Yama, the teacher, he considers the disappearance of desires and enlightenment to be simultaneous. If there are still desires left after enlightenment, that he would not call full enlightenment. All right. Now let us look at a little bit of the commentary of Shankaracharya. He says some very ins inspiring things. More or less what I said just now. And also remember, Atra, uh, here, the word Atra means here. We find it in the mantra here. Uh, it has to be done here. It's not here that you have to wait for some heaven after death or some next lifetime. Here, here, in this life, is O Nachiketa, become enlightened and realize your infinite nature here itself. So put two and two together. Once you realize your immortal nature, then you find, yes, here is the happiness which is everywhere. Here is the happiness which is all the time. 
which is not subject to increase and decrease. Here is the happiness which I find reflected in everybody and everything, including even unpleasant experiences. That happiness I am. It is effortless for me. It is not dependent on anything at all. Everything else is dependent on this, this I am, this one existence consciousness place. And therefore I am full. I don't need anything from anybody else. There's nothing else at all actually, apart from the real you. I just mentioned even unpleasant, you, see, you get happiness from everything, including unpleasant experiences also. So one interesting uh, um, story I heard from Professor Arindam Chakravarti, his guru was a great Vaishnava saint, not a non-dualist, Vaishnava saint, a devotee of Krishna. Um, his name was Sitaram Das Onkarnath, 20th century saint in Calcutta, he lived there, devotee of Krishna. So, Professor Arindam Chakravarti and some others, they were, they used to attend upon him towards the end of his life. He was sick and they had to take care of him so that, you know, when you're lying on the bed for a long time, bed sores develop. The bed sores have to be cleaned and uh, it can burn a lot. It can be quite painful. So, when they used to treat the bed sores, make him stand up, hold, hold the old uh, monk, um, you know, the two or three of the brahmacharis would hold him up and they would clean the back and the bed sores and all. He would burst out giggling and they'd say, doesn't it hurt? He said, of course it hurts. And he would say, oh, the delight of it. Now, is he getting pleasure from pain? No. He said, it hurts. But all of it, whatever experience he's having in life, all sensory experience, including painful sensations, all emotional, mental, intellectual experience, and the absence of all experience, everything is ananda to him. Of course, he sees it as the ananda, the bliss of Krishna. So he sees the presence of Krishna in everything. And then Professor Indam Chakravarti told me that uh, he had to tell, and the doctor had to tell the old Swamiji, and don't do that because we can't understand where it is hurting, where it's not hurting, unless you tell us. If you laugh in everything, even when it's terribly painful and you burst out giggling, so you have to clearly tell us that this is hurting. So, so you see, even unpleasant things, it's obvious. Isn't it consciousness? Isn't it being? Isn't it limitless awareness being? Why should he not find everything as, as joy? Atra, here, here, in this life, now, in this lifetime. Don't wait for a future lifetime. Don't wait to go to Brahmaloka. Don't wait to go to heaven. Now itself you become enlightened and attain this fullness, infinitude. Shankaracharya in his commentary, one or two phrases I will read out. Kamaitavyasya anyasya abhavat. Why desires will go away? There is no other thing which can be desired. Abhava. Abhava means absence. What is there that can be desired? Because the other does not exist. It is already all you. In the midst of a dream, if you find there are very tempting things and there are very scary things, and then you suddenly realize, you can get a lucid dream that it's all I. I alone am appearing. I, the dreamer, am appearing as all these people and places and things. What a joy it will be if the dream continues. You have no fear of anybody, no hatred of anybody. You only want to embrace everybody because everybody is you. Not only yours, they are you. You are alone appearing as all of them. So, kamaitavyasya anyasya bhava. There is no second thing at all to be desired. Why will you have desire? 
Brahmuchyante are fully liberated. The Tibetan Buddhists have a technique for this. As desires appear in your awareness, moment to moment liberate them. Moment to moment liberate them. How do you liberate them moment to moment? Desire is nothing but mind. Mind is nothing but awareness. Desire is liberated. It disappears into light. Every desire, every thought disappears into light. So liberate, instead of trying to say I'm liberated forever, moment to moment, enjoy this liberation. Keep liberating each moment. Pramuchyante, he says, Vishiryante, the bonds of desire are loosened and destroyed. Then, Prak, Prak Pratibrodhat, Vidusho Hridi Buddho Shritad, those desires which were there in the enlightened one's heart, in the enlightened one's, he says, mind, before enlightenment. Prak Pratibrodhat is very clear, before enlightenment. Those desires are liberated, are, are freed. The desires itself are liberated. Liberated means they disappear into nothingness, into consciousness itself. Then he says, and he makes the point. Buddhirhi kamana ashrayo na atma. Shankaracharya says, Buddhirhi kamana ashrayo na atma. Desire is in the mind, in your subconscious mind. In the mind, there is desire. They remain as seed form in the subconscious mind and they manifest as desire in the conscious mind. But consciousness itself, Atman itself, there's no possibility of any desire there. Good and bad are in the movie, not on the movie screen. The movie screen is completely untouched by the good and bad. But they are all the good and bad. The entire movie is dependent on the movie screen. Without the movie screen, no movie is possible. Without Atma, without consciousness, no desire is possible. But Atma itself has no desire at all. Then he says, um, so what happens? The mortal becomes immortal. Shankaracharya comments here, Matyaha Prak Prabodha Tasi, that one who before enlightenment was matya, mortal, pushed from lifetime to lifetime, helplessly, embodied again and again, suffering a series of good and bad events and, you know, and struggling to gain a little bit of happiness in this world. That one. What happens? Prabodha uh, Uttara Kalam, after enlightenment. Not after going to heaven. Not after attaining um, samadhi or uh, some kind of experience. No, just enlightenment. After enlightenment. Avidya kama karma lakshanasya mrityu vinashad amrito bhavanti. Amrito bhavati. Becomes immortal, liberated from death. What is this death? What's the nature of this death? Avidya kama karma. See the same phrase. Ignorance, desire, action. No, death means death of the body. Yes, but where does it come from? Why do you have a body at all? Because you have past karma. Where did that past karma come from? From desire. Where did the desire come from? From ignorance. What is What sort of ignorance? Don't ask where ignorance came from. Ignorance is supposed to be beginningless. But what sort of ignorance? Ignorance of my unlimited nature. That I am this limitless ananda. Not limited by time. Not limited by place. Not limited by object. That I am, that I did not know. Once I know it, once I see it. Know it means not just thinking about it. See it as a fact. It's there right now. We are in the midst of it. We are immersed. One very uh, ancient text, Paramarthasar, that says in the beginning of the text, 
there is a verse in one version of that. There is a verse which says, this jiva, sentient being, you know what it's like? It's like he's immersed in an ocean of nectar and very thirsty, but not noticing that I'm in the ocean of nectar. What is he noticing? He is noticing that mirage water. There is a mirage which he's seeing and trying to he wants to reach that and drink that mirage water. This is the condition of the bound jiva, baddha jiva. We are immersed in Brahman because you are Brahman. You are this limitless ananda. Not seeing that, we are looking at the mirage water of worldly, the temptation of worldly desires. And we want to drink from that mirage water and quench our thirst. We are very thirsty. We are dying of thirst. We want fulfillment. But that fulfillment, we are looking in that wrong place. And trying various ways, which I talked at the beginning so eloquently. <laughs> how, how many are the ways in which worldly ways, religious ways, immoral ways, moral ways, by hard work, by laziness, by selfishness, by selflessness. In so many ways we are trying to drink the water of that mirage. Not working. All right. Mrityu amrito bhavati. From this death one becomes immortal. Becomes immortal means not that you become anything. You realize your immortal nature. You already are immortal actually. Gamana prayojakasya. I'm reading from Shankara's commentary. Gamana prayojakasya mrityoho. Vinashad. Vinashad. Um, gamana anupapatte atra iheiva. Pradipa nirvanavat. Sarva bandhana upashamat. Brahma samashnute. Brahmheiva bhavati. He realizes that I am Brahman. Where Gamana means moving from lifetime to lifetime becomes uh, illogical. He moves from this um, he, he, from this movement from lifetime to lifetime prompted by past karma. From that state, that is death. Not just one death, death after death. From that, he now realizes his real nature Brahman where such movement is impossible. Where will you go from which place to which place. Everything is you, Brahman. Who will go? There is no separate individual who will be born and dying. You are the infinite. You realize that you are the infinite. So that stops. This con continuous transmigration stops. Transmigration, lifetime to lifetime, birth to birth. That stops. Your limited, ex uh, ex limited existence is extinguished. The language Shankaracharya uses. See, this great opponent of Buddhism. What language does he use? Pradipa Nirvanavat. The Buddha's language. Nirva attains Nirvana. Nirvana? Is he using it in a Hindu sense of moksha, mukti? No, no. Pradipa Nirvana. Like a lamp being extinguished. The Buddha says, when the flame of the lamp is extinguished, where does it go? Somebody asked him, one of his disciples. So where do you go after enlightenment? Where does the enlightened one go? He says, when the lamp, flame of a lamp is blown out, do you think the flame has gone to the east or the west or the north or the south or up or down? Where has it gone? So this continuous existence in bondage from lifetime to lifetime, this is blown out. If that blowing out itself is the, uh, is the teaching, is up to that much you say it becomes Buddhism. But go further, uh, in Vedanta you will say, 
ृतमृतुशासनम Gambiranji's translation When all the knots of the heart are destroyed even while a man is alive then a mortal becomes immortal this much alone is the instruction of all the Upanishads all the knots of the heart are destroyed a very famous mantra is in Mundaka Upanishad Vidyate hridaya granthi chidyante sarva samshaya kshiyante chasya karmani tasmin drishte paravare when the when brahman is realized this superior and the relative that means nirguna brahman i am that and saguna brahman ishvara which becomes this entire universe when you realize brahman fully then what happens bhidyate hridaya granthi the knot of the heart is cut we'll see what that knot of the heart is the, and what else um chidyante sarva samshaya all doubts are cut forever you have no doubt left at all you can nothing can ever confuse you anymore it's so clear and then kshiyante chasya karmani all the stored karmas of our past lives disappear slowly no immediately sri ramakrishna gives the example suppose there is a mountain yes i have a mountain of sins and girish ko says i am a mountain of sin mountain of sins sri ramakrishna says but it's a mountain of cotton put one matchstick to it it immediately bursts into flame and disappears so similarly that mountain of cotton is what it is uh, our past karma and that past karma will all burst into flame and disappear if we put the flame of knowledge to it so this is from mundaka upanishad which i hope we will do next here shankaracharya also comments and he explains same thing which was said earlier here it is said the knot of the heart earlier he said all desires this uh, are dispelled now he says the knot of the heart what is the knot of the heart ignorance that uh, phrase avidya kama karma what is the source of samsara our past karma where did the karma come from from desire where did desire come from ignorance so ignorance is here called not of the heart he says hridayasya granthaya not of the heart remember heart always means buddhi the intellect or the mind in the mind is ignorance and that ignorance is the not of the heart why is it called a not shankaracharya says um granthivad dridha bandhana roopa it's a it's a very tight bondage an old knot which remains for a lot long time thick ropes tied together very difficult to uh, untie very difficult to untie so there is a story of famous story of alexander the great there was the gordian knot and he said that he who cuts this knot who he who you who can uh, free this knot will become the ruler of the east or some kind of prophecy was there so alexander was asked to try he didn't try to untie it he took out his sword and cut it so there is a phrase cutting the gordian knot 
Yeah. So the guardian, G-O-R-D-I-A-N, the guardian knot. Cutting the guardian knot, that's the phrase. Here, the guardian knot is ignorance, primal knot, which has bound us to samsara from time immemorial. The reason why we are like what we are now. That has to be cut, and cut by knowledge. The realization of who I am, my infinite nature. Yada sarve pravidyante hridayasya Why plural? Because this knot manifests in many naughty ways. Naughty in both ways. K-N-O-T-T-Y and N-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Naughty ways. It manifests in all sorts of desires and it leads to all sorts of mischief in, my, in our lives. So that I must overcome. And Shankaracharya gives an example. What are the ways in which this knot of ignorance manifests in our life? Ahamidam shariram, mamedam dhanam, sukhi dukhi chaham. He says, I am this body, or this body is mine. And this wealth is mine, this property, this, um, this shares and stocks and bonds and this house and car, all of this is mine. And sukhi dukhi, and the movements in the mind, happy, I am happy. This is also not. Because it's just a wave in the mind. You are happiness itself. You are not a happy mind. The moment you tie yourself to a happy mind, you're going to be an unhappy mind also. Next moment, there'll be unhappiness. The wave in the mind will go down. It'll be unhappy. I am unhappy. Dukhi. Dukhi means I am unhappy. The enlightened one will say, ah, a wave of uh, so-called happiness has come in this silly thing called the mind. Good. What fun. Ah, a wave of this thing called unhappiness has come in the mind. Oh, great fun. Because it's nothing to you. Ahamidam shadiram, I am this body. Mamedam dhanam, this, all these possessions are mine. Aham sukhi, I am happy. Aham dukhi, I am unhappy. Iti evam adi lakshana, lakshanaha. And then what happens upon enlightenment? Tadviparita, just contrary to all of this, which will cancel all of these. What will happen? Brahmatma pratyaya upajananad. When the Brahmakara Vritti arises, I am Brahman, my unlimited nature, this, this moment of realization arises. Where does it arise? In the mind, in the mind itself. It removes the ignorance, it cuts the knot. Brahmevaham asmi, I am Brahman. So, asamsari, I am not subject to coming and going, I am not subject to embodiment. Then the knot of ignorance is cut. The knot of ignorance being cut. And the desires which sprout from this knot, they are destroyed at their root. They are destroyed at their root. Before that, what has happened is, uh, before this enlightenment, either a person has controlled their desires, I am a spiritual seeker, I am controlling it. Or a person has transformed the mind. The rajasic and tamasic desires have been replaced by sattvic desires. No, I am not going to get distracted. I shall. I like meditation. I don't like world reading worldly things or watching worldly things. I like reading spiritual things and I like watching spiritual things. I don't like worldly company. I like spiritual company and so on. They are all desires. But we have replaced rajasic desires, tamasic desires with spiritual desires. But at the 
root all of these disappear even the desire for enlightenment and god realization and moksha that also disappears completely why do i need moksha does brahman need moksha does the absolute reality need god realization freedom no then then you can sing like shankaracharya na dharmo na chartho na kamo na moksha i don't want um, dharma i don't want pleasures kama i don't want artha possession wealth i don't want moksha also why chidananda roopa shivoham shivoham i am shiva i am shiva i am of the nature of limitless ananda of limitless uh, consciousness what is that limitless ananda what i started with everywhere all the time um, from everything independent effortless all the time available as my own self then so these these are the two mantras the second one is deeper than the first one the first one talks about the symptoms desire they must go and it's a very important thing that um, if someone says i am enlightened but i have a few desires left over no doesn't work that way it's like saying i am infinite but i'm also limited how these are contradictory i am a samsari but i am also samsari i am beyond samsara but i am also within samsara i want things within samsara no you may remain within samsara the movie may continue but you are like the lotus leaf untouched by the water in which you are floating that's a very good example and then in the next mantra he went to and this uh, i am the uh, and, and the root of desire ignorance is destroyed now a couple of more mantras are there let me chant the next one this is entirely different topic shatam jaikacha hridayasya nadya tasam urdhanam avinisriteika tayor urdham mayan amritatvam eti vishvanganya utkramane bhavanti let me read the translation you will feel a bit of a jerk here because the topic is suddenly changed what is the topic here the nerves of the heart are 101 in number of them one passes through the crown of the head going up through that nerve one gets immortality the others have different directions become the causes of death what's this suddenly why where do the nerves which is very seem very bodily nerves and the crown of the head uh, all of these things are coming in what what's happening here yama the teacher the god of death is referring back to an earlier teaching because he's wrapping up the whole thing is referring back to the second boon which nachiketa had asked for he had asked for the best of all vedic rituals a long time back we had studied it and yama taught him the best of vedic rituals which he named nachiketa agni the nachiketa fire ritual he named it after nachiketa and by performing that a devout person a moral devout person will reach brahmaloka the highest heaven the realm of brahma uh, so having reached that what will happen having reached that that person uh, if he is a seeker of enlightenment and freedom that person will uh, get uh, knowledge brahma gyana uh, from the greatest of teachers brahma himself god himself will teach you there so there also there will be zoom classes and upanishad classes everything will go on but there everything is much better uh, and you attain enlightenment there and at the end of brahmaloka at the end of this particular universe that dweller of brahmaloka will attain brahman and become free attain moksha 
that's a long long time billions of years but don't worry about them they're having a really good time they, that brahma loka is a ex extraordinarily good place to be in so they are all highly spiritual people they are the ones who come down to help us in spiritual life and so on so um uh, that is an extraordinary state what is meant here vedanta you will always see two things are taught the central teaching of vedanta is called sadhyo mukti freedom here and now which was said in the uh, last two mantras atra atra means here ihaiva in this life in this body here and now become enlightened and be free that's the central teaching however what about those who do not attain it you have been spiritual seekers for a long time you are devout you have taken the mantra of an ishta devata you are repeating the mantra meditating on the mantra you are leading a moral life trying to be a good person and struggling to realize god suppose we do not realize god in this lifetime what will happen you will go to brahma loka and you will remain there that brahma loka has many names in different religions it is a uh, it is vaikuntha for the vaishnavas it is uh, shiva loka for the shaivites it is devi loka for the um, uh, for the shaktas it is the christian heaven it's the islamic heaven it is the pure land of the buddhists so the highest conception of a spiritual place which you find in different religions theistic and non theistic that is in vedanta it's called brahma loka and that's very spiritual nothing wrong in that but that's still clearly second best yeah. that he is talking about if you perform that ritual and the associated meditation i'll just mention it, it's called virat meditation we talked about it a long time back do you perform those meditations or in today's world Uh, the way we see hinduism today you have ishta devata ishta mantra you're initiated regularly perform japa and meditation have deep devotion and surrender to god in that form then you will reach brahma loka if you are not enlightened so this is said there are these thousands of nadis running from the plexuses in the body so he is now moving into a very uh, tantric landscape not advaitic at all Suddenly, we're back to the body and the heart and nadis. And what are nadis? There's no clear translation in English. Nerves, you can say, but they're not exactly nerves. They're more like passageways, extremely subtle passageways. And they perform many activities in the body. Many, all of our activities in the body are, and and also illnesses are because of the functioning and uh, not functioning of these nadis. They say. Now, we are concerned here with one of these nadis, which is. very subtle very delicate which moves from the heart up to the crown of the uh, head they say brahma randra it is said at the time of physical death of this very devout person who has not yet attained full enlightenment this very devout person who has got a guru and ishta devata mantra and has practiced devotion sincerely and tried best to give up desires as far as possible this person when the physical body dies the subtle body sukshma sharira will leave the body just like everybody's case this person the it will leave the body but it will leave through that that nadi it is called sushumna nadi and it it will leave the subtle body is supposed to leave through the brahmarandha this crown of the head it leaves there and where does it go it goes to the plane of brahma um, not brahman not uh, nirguna brahman but brahma loka the highest heaven a spiritual heaven and hence after that we'll attain uh, liberation from there this is called krama mukti sequential liberation 
sequential liberation as against what was talked of earlier, Sadhya Mukti, immediate liberation. Those who get immediate liberation, they will enjoy Jivan Mukti. That means liberated while, free, uh, while living here, free while living here. And after the death of the body, Vidya Mukti, free anyway. But these others, very devout people, meditators, devotees, they will go to the heaven of their choice and enjoy a spiritual communion. They will not become sugar. They will eat sugar until they attain full Brahma Jnana and they are released forever. It released into what? Into infinitude, into their infinite nature. What about others? And then he says, there are hundreds of other Nadis which go in different directions and the subtle body can lead through any one of them and they lead to other goals. They can go to other heavens, into other births, human births, animal births, hellish worlds. There are so many other ways. All of them, he says, Mrityu, they are pervaded by death. They all come to an end. If you attain liberation, so what about the liberated one? Doesn't go anywhere. If you have attained enlightenment, you don't go out through this Nadi or that Nadi or this Nadi. You don't go anywhere. You are Brahman already. The Mundaka Upanishad will talk about it. In the case of the death, physical death of the enlightened one, the, not only the physical body goes back to nature, but the subtle body also goes back to nature. It does not go from place to place. Your uh, uh, spiritual tourism will come to an end. <laughs> so, uh, that is for the enlightened one. Worldly, good and bad, various destinations, all subject to coming and going. The spiritual person, devout person, one destination, Brahma Loka, from which eventual liberation, Krama Mukti, sequential liberation. The enlightened one does not go anywhere. It is the moment upon the moment of enlightenment, you realize you are this limitless existence consciousness, please, ever fulfilled. Game up, finished for you. Then, conclusion. So here he just referred back to that earlier boon, the second boon which Nachiketa had asked for, the best of all fire rituals. And he referred back to that and mentioned the result of that. Then, the 17th mantra, he concludes, the central teaching of liberation here and now. Angushtamatra purusho antaratma sadajananam hriraye sannivishta saswat shariratra vrihet munjadi vaishikang dhaidyena tang vidyat shukram amritam tang vidyat shukram amritam iti the Purusha, the indwelling self of the size of a thumb, is ever seated in the hearts of men. One should unerringly separate him from one's body like a stalk from the Munja grass. Him one should know as pure and immortal. Him one should know as pure and immortal. Summing up the teaching. There in your heart, heart means in your mind, in your intellect, is consciousness, your real nature. Pravrihyat. Separate it from body and mind. Carefully. Carefully is dhairiyana. Carefully. And gives an example. Munja grass. So there's a particular grass. And there are the leaves of the grass. That you can pull out the stalk from between. To pull, Now the grass, the sides are sharp. If you rub it, you like a paper cut, you might get a thin cut on your finger also. So you have to be carefully pull the stalk out from between the 
the leaves of the grass. Uh, so like that, you separate your nature as consciousness from the physical and mental bodies. From the Stula Sharira, Sukshma Sharira and Karana Sharira. Physical, subtle and causal bodies, you separate yourself. Not physically. That can't be done. Don't, now don't go with a pair of forceps and try to pull the um, Atman, the self, out from the physical body. No. How do you do it? What is the methodology? Not physically, not with forceps or something. Not with pincers. You do it with Drigdrishya Viveka, Panchakosha Viveka, Avasthatraya Viveka. All of these are methods. The method of the seer and the seen. The method of the analysis of the five sheets. The method of the three states of waking, dreaming, deep sleep. In all of these methods, what will you get? If you do it carefully, you will end up, carefully means mindfully and carefully, with full understanding and clarity, you will end up with seeing yourself as witness consciousness. Sakshi. You will end up seeing yourself as, or realizing yourself as witness consciousness. Where? Here, right here, in this body, in this mind. Earlier I thought I was a body-mind with consciousness. Now I see I am a consciousness, witness of illumining a body-mind. This is the step one. Then he says, having carefully separated yourself in your understanding, in your realization. It's a real thing, not theoretical. Tamvidyat shukram amritam. Realize this as the pure consciousness and immortal. That it is Brahman. Shankaracharya says, it is Brahman. It's Nirguna Brahman. It's limitlessness, not that it is one little consciousness in one body-mind and there are many, many consciousnesses in all bodies and minds. No, no, no. It is one consciousness. You will realize you have stepped away from the body-mind into limitless consciousness, which is Brahman. And that is immortality. That is Satchidananda. So two steps. One, not body, not mind, witness consciousness. That is carefully separating. And then two, is that that witness consciousness is not a tiny thing, limited thing. It is the unlimited Brahman in which this entire universe appears, disappears uh, like a bubble or like a, a snake in a rope, like a dream, like a mirage. You are this unlimited existence consciousness place. So he says, Shukram, it is pure consciousness, pure ananda, bliss, pure existence, sat, chit, ananda, amritam, it is beyond death. Body is in, will remain in the cycle of death. Mind is in the realm of death. But you are beyond death. Tam vidyat. You realize that. How? I am that. I am Brahman. And then it's reply, uh, this is repeated. Him one should realize as, him means that one, not male, that one. One should realize as pure and immortal. Pure consciousness is limitless consciousness. Atman is Brahman. And I am that Brahman. You realize that. It is repeated twice to show that the teaching is ended now. The teaching is ended. One last mantra remains. Yama and Nachiketa have finished the dialogue. The dialogue is over. The teaching is over. Now the Upanishad has a comment to make. The Upanishad itself has a comment to make. It, has a, it, it wants to get in the last word and to encourage all of us and stop there. Eighteenth mantra. Mrityu praoktam nachiketo atholabdhva vidyam etam yoga vidhim chakritsnam Brahma prapto virajo abhudvi mrityu anyo apyevam yo vidadhat atma meva. Nachiketa, having first become free from virtue and vice, as also desire and ignorance, by acquiring this knowledge imparted by death, 
as also the process of yoga in its totality attained Brahman. So Nachiketa, little boy, became fully enlightened and uh, became free. Anyone else too who became, becomes a knower like Nachiketa of the indwelling self attains Brahman. So what is said here? Did Nachiketa finally get the result he was looking for? Enlightenment and freedom? Yes. The Upanishad confirms Nachiketa became free. He became an enlightened person, a Jivan Mukta. And then, um, what did he, how did he become a Jivan Mukta and an enlightened person? Attaining the knowledge imparted by a teacher. Who was the teacher? None other than the god of death, Yama. Vidya, which knowledge? The knowledge of the Upanishad, the Katha Upanishad. How do you get it? Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Yoga with him. And all these spiritual practices, meditation, uh, devotion, selfless work, purification of mind, all the qualities which Nachiketa was strenuously examined for, having attained all that, um, learning the method of knowledge also, uh, of meditation also, all of those things he has got, and he became enlightened. Brahma prapto, virajo abhut. He be went beyond causality. Viraja here means um, the uh, papa punya, dharma dharma, good and bad. As long as we are trapped in that, Good karma, heaven. Bad karma, hell. Mixture, earthly existence. When you go beyond that, you realize you are Brahman. Nachiketa went beyond that. And then Upanishad adds encouragingly, Anyapyevam, others also, who are similarly qualified and similarly seeking enlightenment, meaning all of us, thousands of years later, says they will also attain Brahman and attain liberation, as did Nachiketa. So that's on the very upbeat and encouraging note. Um, let me do a chant and then we will give a jai. Um, the reason is when we study texts like this in the main monastery, uh, the Brahmachari study it, as each text Upanishad is finished, at the end we give jai Sri Guru Maharaj Ji ki jai like that. So I will do it for, on your behalf. And then we can take a few observations and questions. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu Jai Shri Guru Maharaj Ji Ki Jai Jai Mahamai Ki Jai Jai Swami Ji Maharaj Ji Ki Jai I pray to the Divine Mother to bless all of us. May this knowledge become, become illumined in our lives, in this very life itself. May we attain, like Nachiketa, to knowledge and freedom. Good. Congratulations to all of you. We have completed this journey together. Let's look at the chat. Shri says, Thakur says in Kothamrita, some people satisfy worldly desires to desire renunciation. Yes. Thakur saying that some people have to live and learn. All of us have to live and learn. And Thakur was, he was like, he knew it doesn't happen in a hurry. Vivekananda was always in a hurry. He, because Vivekananda knew how much suffering people go through. And that liberation and freedom from suffering is at hand. Why not attain it? Why not get it in this life? But Sri Ramakrishna was not so much in a hurry. <laughs> So Vivekananda would get some of his friends and tell Sri Ram. He knew Sri Ramakrishna could, could liberate them. He could at least make them spiritual. And he would say, do something for them. 
And Sri Ramakrishna had a name for these people. Vivekananda would <laughs> drag in before him. Yeah, Sri Ramakrishna would call them parent, friend, the English word friend. Sri Ramakrishna would say Narinit parent, the friends of Narin, which is slightly, uh, you know, he was making fun of them because it's, they're not going to become, they're nowhere close to Vivekananda. They're not going to become uh, spiritually enlightened maybe in this lifetime. And uh, one monk was joking that we are all of us, we are a bunch of Narin's friends, Vivekananda's friends. Most of us, we have been attracted by Vivekananda. Vivekananda has dragged us in and put us before Sri Ramakrishna. Do something for these guys. Yes, we have to learn. But since we have got this knowledge and this understanding now, and we are getting this Vedantic knowledge, we are blessed. Let's struggle. Let's move as fast as possible. Why dwaddle and why suffer more? Rajendraji says, where is the locus of avidya if I am illusion in the form of jiva? Is avidya located in Brahman or jiva? Is nirguna Brahman a lump of consciousness without any desire? What about God's desire in Leela, Vaishnavism, Shiva's Ichcha Shakti in Kashmiri Shaivism? Okay, these are very deep questions. Locus of avidya, avidya ashraya. Huge question. Huge question in Advaita Vedanta. And there are different answers given by different schools. So one school of Vedanta says, uh, avidya, ignorance, the locus, locus is ashraya. Locus is in Brahman. The other one says, no, 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 how can there be ignorance in Brahman? Brahman is uh, like the sun. How can there be darkness in the sun? So the ignorance is obviously, where is ignorance? You feel that you are ignorant. You don't know that you are Brahman. All of us admit it. That's why we are here in Vedanta class. We admit that we don't know that we are Brahman. We don't realize it. In that case, you are admitting that the ignorance is in you. So ignorance is in the jiva. That's another position. Then there's a counterattack that ignorance cannot be in the jiva. You are a jiva because of ignorance. You are after all Brahman. But you don't know that you are Brahman and that's why you think you are a Jiva. So ignorance precedes you becoming a Jiva. Then how can the ignorance be in the Jiva when there was no Jiva? It's only Brahman becomes or appears as a Jiva because of ignorance. And so this debate is a long debate. There's a lot of, and there are multiple schools, mainly three points of view. One is called the, um, one is called the Vivarana view. One is called the Bhamati view. One is called the the uh, Vartika view. The Vivarana view and the Bhamati view I've stated. I think the Bhamati view is that that um, the uh, ignorance is in Brahman and the Vivarana view is that the ignorance is... No, Vivarana view is that the ignorance is in Brahman and the Bhamati view is that the ignorance is in each of the individual jivas and both have serious defects. The Vartika view is very interesting. It says, as far as I recall, I may be wrong, but uh, Sureshwar Acharya, one of Sh Sh uh, Shankaracharya's great disciples, his view is very uh, uh, different from others. He says, this question is meaningless. It's not that ignorance is something that exists. You can say, which is the locus of the mobile phone? Is it on the table or is it in your pocket? And there can be a good answer to it. Somebody might say it's on the table, it's somebody might say it's in the pocket. But if something doesn't exist, what is the meaning of asking what is the location of that thing? Uh, ignorance has no real existence. It's not like Brahman is a container and the Jiva is another container and it would be either here or either or there. No, ignorance actually doesn't exist. It appears in us, the Jiva, and it can be overcome by knowledge. That's it. If you could actually prove the existence of ignorance, you'd be in trouble. It would become a real thing and it could not be overcome. Ignorance, if investigated, disappears.
is nirguna brahman a lump of consciousness not a lump is limitless consciousness without any desire let me ask you is brahman without a body without a world without a mind and in one sense no because here is the world body and mind to the extent that the world is there body is there mind is there it must be nothing other than brahman just that brahman does not the world body and mind do not belong to the same level of reality as brahman brahman is absolutely a re reality paramarthika and world body and mind belong to the level of appearance vyavaharik uh, so your desire also belongs to the level of appearance um, god has the desire to create this universe apparently but apparently only advaita vedanta would say that's all at the transactional level and that explains the appearance of this world so god's desire for leela or shiva's ichcha shakti in kashmiri shaivism according to advaita vedanta none of these need to be denied they can all be put in the vyavaharika level transactional level total annihilation of desires is seen only post enlightenment so also said one needs to be nishkangshi that means desireless prerequisite for enlightenment yes good question giving up desires is necessary for enlightenment but all desires go away only after enlightenment then isn't this a vicious circle if you cannot give up desires and you can't because unless you're enlightened you can't give up all desires and in that case you will not attain enlightenment and that in that case never then uh, desires will go away no just enough that much of control of desires and supplanting worldly desires with spiritual desires is enough till that you get enlightenment and that will remove desires forever now here ramanujacharya he actually asked this question control of senses is necessary for enlightenment but without enlightenment perfect control of senses is not possible in that case enlightenment is not possible so there he introduces bhakti love of god lack of control of senses is because of the desire for the world replace the desire for the world with the love of god then the senses will be pulled towards god not towards the world and that senses pulled towards god will never be an obstacle in your path of enlightenment in fact will be the greatest help for you to to become enlightened so very beautiful argument powerful argument for bhakti for devotion and by the way even little more i would add here all desires are extinguished upon enlightenment not entirely true all we might call selfish desires binding desires one might have like a bodhisattva um desire for taking everybody towards enlightenment one might have like a jivan mukta um sarvabhuta hite rata krishna says in the gita ever engaged in the welfare of all beings that kind of helpfulness so vivekananda says seek to live a life of blessed help help um, helpfulness so that kind of desire is great it is absolutely no problem for you for the enlightened person and it's a great blessing for humanity and even little desires will persist that's also interest interesting sri ramakrishna loved jalebi eating jalebi and was it there uh, always yes but it's not a binding desire sri ramakrishna would say those outward little characteristics and those little characteristics will remain because everybody has a personality after enlightenment the personality does not disappear they don't all become like bland and homogeneous sri ramakrishna's personality was different from ma sharada's personality was different from swami vivekananda's personality and that was different from the personality of all the other direct disciples each saint each mystic had their own unique very interesting personality 
And after an enlightenment, it's not that the personality disappears. They, become, they don't become one bland, uninteresting, you know. Uh, no, they're all unique. And they're all very interesting. But none of it is binding for them. Sri Ramakrishna says, then the desire remains like a rope which is burnt. A burnt rope retains the shape of a rope. But it's basically ashes. If you blow upon it, it blows up into the air. It can't bind anybody. Abhijit says, uh, would the following example work to understand the bliss even in unpleasant uh, experiences? Is it that people enjoy a scary ride in the amusement park? Although scary, people still enjoy feeling scared because they know in their body in this case will not get hurt. This knowledge enables them to enjoy an otherwise unpleasant experience. Yes, but um, in a certain way, but actually much more vivid and much more viscerally powerful than this. Huh? There you have a knowledge that a, a ride is scary or a movie is scary and it's a movie. But here, the overwhelming feeling of infinitude and joy is so powerful that it's Occasional manifestation as a flash of pain or irritation or unhappiness or poverty or something is fine. It's perfectly all right. That also manifests my infinite nature. That's what explains him. Even in unpleasant situations, you burst out laughing. It's of the one must not forget it's of the nature of not just knowledge, it's a very vivid experience. Uh, Kiran says, can we interpret unlimited in this way also? Unlimited number of names and forms can appear in consciousness, just like unlimited number of movies, good and bad, can play on the screen. Yes, yes. Unlimited manifestation. This consciousness has unlimited potential. But remember one thing, Advaita will say only one thing, if, you know, it's not really plural. All of it is that one movie screen only. Advaita is interested in only one thing. You can have as many worlds, bodies, uh, heavens and hells as much as you like, God and incarnations as many as you like, as long as the non-duality is not violated. They must be at their base nothing other than Brahman. Then Advaita is satisfied. No matter as many movies as you show, they, they have to be nothing other than the screen. Screen alone appearing as a variety of movies. Brahman alone appearing as a variety of Bodies, minds, worlds, experiences. David says, I would posit attachment to desires that ends other than the desires themselves. They need to live life, especially for householders. There's also shift being driven by source other than identification. Okay. Go together, speak together, know your minds. This is mantra, yes. Rig Veda, yes. United be your purpose. Mm. desires driven by ignorance come to an end but not all desires yes there can be desire for the welfare of all beings like a jivan mukta bodhisattva Ishwara does Ishwara God the God of religion does God have a desire yes in the sense of love for all of us and being the greatest of well-wishers God says I am your best friend I, I wish you all well I really want that you should attain enlightenment. That desire God does have for all of us. But it's not something that binds God. Girish says, Brahman cannot be defined in words, but aren't we defining it by calling it the screen on the... Screen is um, 
as an example on which the phenomenological world appears or by calling it the substrate on which the world appears. Yes. So in philosophical language, it might say, aren't you defining Brahman as the cause of the world? But then answer will be, no, Brahman is not the cause of the world. A cause produces an effect. Brahman did not really produce the world. So um, you cannot call, really call Brahman a cause of this world. But then at this point, someone might say, yes, I understand Brahman did not produce the world. But the world appears in Brahman. So Brahman um, is the ground of that appearance. As long as that appearance has no difference, no change, no separate identity from Brahman, Advaita is satisfied. And um, designation has failed because uh, that appearance is in no way different from Brahman. So we really have failed to express it in language. Bhargava says, um, Mantra 14 and 15 is like the teaching of the Buddha. Desire is the root of suffering and destroying it is the solution. Desire is the root of suffering. Not only that, um, ignorance is the root of desire also. And destroying it is the solution. Correct. Priya Kulkarni says, is there any experiencer who will experience Brahmaloka subsequent liberation? Yes, those who are in Brahmaloka, they will experience liberation um, at the end of Brahmaloka. When this universe comes to an end. They will all be liberated. What happens to the causal body of the enlightened one? Goes back to nature. Causal body, subtle body, physical body are all produced by Prakriti. All of it goes back to nature. The causal body is nothing other than Maya itself. You know, part of Maya, Agyana. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful journey. We all took together <laughs> studying the uh, Kato Upanishad. <laughs>